So this morning, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series called We Believe. Um, And in this series, we are taking a deep dive into the Apostles' Creed. And the aim of this series is to really look at what this creed, how this creed connects to who we are and how it connects us to the church universal and what it has to say about our faith. So New Community Covenant Church, for anyone who does not know, we are a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. So if you're sitting there and you're like, I have no idea what that is, you are not alone. Many people have no idea what that is. (laughs) But it's a denomination, a, a relatively small denomination that is that calls itself non-doctrinal. So what that means essentially is that there is no set of core beliefs that they would say are above scripture in determining who we are and what, what it means to be a part of this church. No one set of core doctrines that people, all Christians, all people who are part of the ECC, the Evangelical Covenant Church, must follow. For the founders of this denomination, the primary source for instruction, for guidance, for formation was scripture. And so it was often said among our forefathers and mothers, that sounds so bizarre. So it was initially the Swedish covenant church. So it's odd for me to say our forefathers and our foremothers, but I have some Swedish in me. So there we go. So we, but it was often said among them when they would have their meetings, when they would have discussions, often lively, passionate discussions about what we believe, where is it written? What does scripture say? And so, to be clear, it's not that they were against creeds, doctrines, such as the Apostles' Creed. It was that they believed that, first and foremost, any kind of creed, any kind of doctrine that a person of faith is going to espouse is only good so much as it is rooted in Scripture. Where is it written? And so that is one of the motivations for this sermon series. We are looking at the Apostles' Creed, and we are going into the Word to say, where is it written? What does this mean? This creed that has been said for generations and generations and generations of believers, what does it say about us? Where is it written? And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the second line. I know last week you guys got the first part of this creed. Today, we're going to look at, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. There are a number of places that we could go with this sentence. Jesus Christ, the centrality of Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. There have been tomes written about each part of of this sentence. But where I want to focus our attention this morning is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So the Apostles' Creed was written to communicate a set of core beliefs. The authors thought that what they were putting in this document, what people would be espousing, what they espoused, these were core values, core beliefs that should be universally held by Christians. 
It was a way of communicating the centrality of things that defined our faith. It was also a way of communicating indirectly the things that are outside of our faith, right? Like we are staking our claim. We are saying this is what we believe. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And the words of this creed, the phrasing of those words, it was intentional. It was thoughtful. They weren't trying to capture every single thing that could be said about the Bible, every single thing that could be said about believers, but the things that are the most important. And so there were a lot of, there were lots of things they could have said. There could have been a phrase about that we believe creation happened in seven days. There could have been a statement that we believe the Sabbath is important to God. Like there could have been all kinds of, they would have said it better than that, but there could have been all kinds of, of things that were captured in this creed, but the words that they chose were intentional. And I think that they have had resonance with the people of God for so many generations because they do capture the core essence of who we are, of what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the church and the world that God so loved. And so the guiding question for us this morning then is what is so important about Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Why not just stop at Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Why was it necessary, important, central to note that this Jesus Christ, this one and only Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Virgins don't typically give birth. (laughs) If you go out into the world and you find yourself in a space where you are talking to a medical professional and you say, I am pregnant, but I promise I am a virgin. They are going to say, I promise <laughs> you are not. <laughs> right? like, like virgins do not give birth. And most people would say that spirits don't make. I don't know. If, I don't know a PC way to say that, but you all know what I'm trying to say. Like life is conceived in a particular kind of way. And so the fact that we as believers believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin is quite frankly ridiculous. That's one of the things that you do have to just believe it by faith. They will tell you, and I I believe in the word says it, that you should always be able and willing to give an answer for the faith that you confess, right? Let me tell you what that does not mean. It does not mean that you have every answer. Because somebody one day, if you are doing your job and living your life right, somebody one day is going to say, do you really believe that the God you serve was born of a virgin? And you are going to say yes. And they are going to say how? And you are going to say, I believe it by faith. (laughs) Because that's the answer, right? We can't, I mean, I can explain to you what the word of God says. But unless the spirit of God has enabled you to have the gift of faith to believe it. it that's, it's ridiculous. And it's so ridiculous that there are many Christians who have come to believe that that is not true. 
that that did not happen. That that is just, you know, a little thing that is there in the Bible. And maybe it might tell us something that's important about whatever it tells us. But it's not a fact that we can count on. I'm one of those foolish people that believe that God can do all things. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, no, that is ridiculous. And yes, I do believe it. And I want to submit to you this morning that believing in this story... Not that it's just a thing out there that is, you know, maybe an an analogy of something else that is important. Not that it's supposed to point us to another kind of truth, but that this thing absolutely points us to another truth, but that it also happened. I want to submit to you today that believing that is important. Because in that little phrase, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a Virgin Mary, in that little phrase, there is a very powerful truth about how we should understand the God we serve and our relationship to him. Because it demonstrates the magnitude of God's oneness and the depths of our connection to that oneness. That little phrase... It demonstrates the magnitude of God's oneness and the depth of our connection to that oneness. And so the title of my sermon this morning is Truly One. And we are going to spend some time looking at some passages to explore exactly how and exactly why conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary matters. So we have several texts that we're going to look at today. In your bulletins, the two passages that are noted are um, John 17, verses 20 and 21, um, and Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Um, We are also going to look at Genesis chapter 1, 26, and John chapter 1, 26. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And for those of you who will be following along, we're going to start with the Genesis passage and then John 1, then John 17, and then we'll go to the Hebrews passage. So Genesis 1, 26 reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And now turning to John 1, verses 1 to 4, it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And now turning to John chapter 17, Beginning with verse 20, it reads, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then lastly, turning to Hebrews Chapter 4, beginning with verse 14, it reads, Therefore, since we have a great high priest 
who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of God. Amen. You can have a seat. So I want to move through these passages and and, and explain to you why I have chosen them. So for me, these verses paint a picture of what the oneness of God looks like. If Pastor Kevin was here, he would be able to preach this sermon in a way that that's all he would need. He could read this whole scripture and y'all would be like, oh, I got it. Amen. But I don't have that particular anointing. And so I'm going to have to flesh it out a little bit more (laughs) for you. But when we look at this first passage in Genesis, let us make mankind in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now I can tell you when I first became a Christian and I started to read the Bible, I remember reading this and thinking like, oh my gosh, like it's right there. Like it, it's right there. God, there's the Trinity. It's in this verse. I don't understand how I had been so blind, right? Like why is anyone confused? It's right here. Now I still believe that, but it bears some explanation. There are three primary ways that people have approached this text. The traditional view is that right here, what we are seeing is, quite frankly, just evidence of the Trinity. God speaking to God's self. It's a picture of God conversing with the Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We can see it there. And some will argue that, well, to say that it's the Trinity would not have been how the original writers of this text would have understood what they were writing. And it it would not have been how the original hearers of this text would have understood what they were hearing. I think that's fair. That's true, right? The Trinity, Jesus Christ being born and being recognized as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, is something that happens in the New Testament. That's something that as believers, it's something that sets us apart from our ancestors, our forefathers, our Jewish brothers and sisters, because we believe that the Messiah has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. But that original audience would not have believed that or known that or thought that. And some will say that it is an unfair reading of this text to try to impose that there, because if it was about the Trinity, then we would see evidence of that in the New Testament. And I say we do see evidence of that in the New Testament. So for me, I don't believe that that original audience would have necessarily been thinking about Jesus Christ. They couldn't possibly have been thinking about Jesus Christ. And it is an unfair interpretation for us to look and say, oh, this is absolutely clearly and just unequivocally. Everybody who reads it ought to get it about Jesus Christ. But we can look at the text of the New Testament and we can say, I believe that it is. Because John says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he says that all things were made through him. This is a text in which John is being intentional about connecting the Messiah, Jesus Christ, 
to this passage. Now, I encourage you all to be studiers of the word. And so you should go and you should read some commentaries and dig because there's debate on this. This is how I understand it. And this is the side that I have landed on. And this is why. Because when I look at the text of John and when I read Genesis through that lens, I absolutely can see a picture of God from the very beginning communicating to us. I am a God who is one with myself. That unity is a part of my nature. One God. Many persons. Oneness. Jesus Christ, the one who was the word, the word that spoke creation into existence, the one who was the word, who was there with the father from the very beginning, the one who was the word through whom all things were made as God spoke things into existence. Oneness. Oneness. Within the Godhead. Our God, who is one, three persons in one, sends God's self in the form of Jesus Christ to die for us. And Jesus's prayer for us in John 17 is that we would be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. Make us one. Oneness being added to being fleshed out even more fully. Oneness in the Godhead, oneness with God and God's creation. And not just oneness in the substance of who we are, but oneness in the experience of living the life that God has given us. Because we don't have a high priest who can't empathize with us. We have a high priest who was tempted in every way that we were tempted and yet did not sin. We have a high priest who understands exactly what it is to be flesh and blood, to be human, to walk on this earth. We have a high priest who understands who we are. And that high priest prayed for us to be one as he and the father are one, oneness. In the Godhead, oneness with God and God's creation, oneness. So why is Mary important? (laughs) What does Mary have to do with any of this? What does being born to a virgin after having been conceived by the Holy Spirit, what does that have to do with this oneness? It will not be jaw-dropping to anyone who has been a Christian for any amount of time to hear me say that Mary connects Christ to humanity. But I want us to sit with that truth for a while. We often talk about the fact that Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ, the reason why that sacrifice on a cross mattered is because in the person of Christ was both humanity and divinity. That God in his own person unified, oneness, made complete that connection that we have with the divine. Fully human, fully divine. The Holy Spirit Being conceived by the Holy Spirit absolutely makes sense. Yep, no, that's clearly something that is divine. But I believe that the God who made a man out of dust could probably have made a second Adam just 
by the Holy Spirit. You've done it before. He had already breathed breath into dirt and it took form. So I believe that that same God could have done that same thing again. And yet that God decided, no, this child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit, but born of the Virgin Mary. See, Mary connects us to Christ's humanity. Through Joseph, we see the testimony that God will always keep his promises. Through Joseph, we see the testimony that God is always faithful to his promises because Joseph connects Jesus to David. David is where the Messiah was coming from. But through Mary, we see the connection of us to the God who so loved us that he took on flesh to die for us. Through Mary... We see the connection, not only of us and our flesh and our blood, but the connection of Jesus Christ to everything earthly that God had created. We learn later in the book of Hebrews that all of creation is connected to that God. We are told in scripture that all of creation is groaning longing for the return of our God. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I am also groaning and longing for the return of our God. We are not alone through Mary, that divine son of God is connected to all of the flesh and the blood and the dirt and the breath that inhabits this earth conceived by the Holy spirit born of the Virgin Mary. And through Mary, our Savior is connected to the suffering that all of us experience. That happens in a couple ways. So if you have given birth to a child, if you have heard somebody talk to you about having given birth to a child, if you are a child and you've been alive long enough to hear your parents talk to you about how you came into the world, I think we all know that childbirth is painful. If you can't say anything about it, we can say that the process of giving birth is painful. That matters. But also, let's think about what Mary experienced in her life. Mary raised a child who just one day decided, you know, I'm supposed to be in a temple right now because that's where my, I need to be in my father's house and just walked off (laughs) and was gone. Now, if you have ever had any responsibility for watching a child, you know, one of the most horrifying moments you will ever experience is looking up and not seeing that child turning to the right or to the left and you still don't see that child and you are starting to pray yourself through. Okay. Nope. Jesus, let me, that is one of the most anxiety-ridden moments you will ever look up and I don't see the child that I'm supposed to be taking care of. Imagine (laughs) Mary raises a child who we don't know much about Jesus's early years, about his adolescence, his child, but I just, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he may have been a little peculiar. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. (laughs) But if you are an auntie, a mama, a daddy, a other mother, if you have had any, any involvement in the care and the raising of a child, in the influencing and shaping of a child, you know 
that while they are blessings, <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they can take you there. They can cause you to have sleepless nights. They will keep you on your face. I believe that Mary connects us to the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ connecting us to the humanity and the oneness of God. And one of the primary ways that Mary stands for us as an important figure and why that virgin birth matters is because Mary watched her child suffer things that no one should watch any human suffer. Mary walked alongside, and we don't, we don't get to hear a whole lot of the ways that Mary interacted with Jesus, but you know what Mary knew for all three years that Jesus was doing what Jesus was doing? Mary was terrified, I guarantee you. Because Mary knew that everywhere that man went, people wanted to kill him. And Mary was praying, I am sure, many nights, I wish he would just stop saying the things he's saying. I wish he could just, uh, if he could just be quiet, if he could just do like the other boys do. Like if he could just stop because Mary had to have spent at least the last three years of her child's life absolutely terrified only to then watch her worst fears be realized. There are mothers today who need to know that that virgin birth matters. There are fathers today who need to know that they serve a God who understands exactly what they are feeling, the things that they will never have language for. There are people today who need to understand that the stories we tell about a, a, a Christ on a cross is not just a story, but this is a thing that happened to a person who had a mama and who had a daddy and who had siblings and who had friends and who had people who had to watch him suffer in that way because there are people suffering in that way today. That is what our humanity has to offer. And so when we say that we believe that the God we serve sent his son, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was fully divine and born of the Virgin Mary, born to a girl who would have been terrified from the moment she heard from an angel that she was going to conceive to the day she heard that that child had been resurrected from the grave for 33 years. When we say that phrase, I believe that Jesus Christ, his one and only son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, we are saying, I believe that the God I serve is one. And I am one with that God. I believe that the God I serve understands who I am. I believe that the stuff that I can't even speak, when people ask me how I'm doing and I say I'm fine, I'm not trying to lie, but I can't tell you how I'm doing because I don't have the language to communicate what I'm going through, that the God I serve understands all of that. Because he was not just fully human. He had a particular kind of humanity. He was born on the margins to a woman on the margins who watched him suffer and die. That is one of the ways that Mary is 
important because by connecting us to the suffering of our Savior, Mary connects us to the humanity of our Savior. By connecting us to the humanity of our Savior, we are all connected to the divinity of our Savior. We are one with the God who so loved this world and who sent that Son. And the last way and the last reason that it matters is because right now, today, you and I, whether you are a believer or not a believer, we are existing in a time where oneness would not be the word that anyone would use to characterize what's going on. We are living in a time where people are divided based on what YouTube celebrity you like most. We are living in a time where people are willing to fight you behind simple stuff, let alone major stuff. And we are existing in a church that reflects that division. Unity, oneness, is not something that we should be flipping about. We are in a moment, particularly in the church, where all of us ought to be praying about meditating regularly on what it means to be one with God and one with each other. Because everything around us, everything within us, meaning the church, is pushing us to say, oh no, I don't have to be one with you. I don't have to be united to you. I only need to be one with the people who think like me, look like me, act like me, believe like me. And we're content to live that way. We serve a God who said, I love the church. And we have said, I love the part of the church that thinks like I think. I love the part of the church that makes me feel like what I believe is okay. And so we need to take seriously this idea of oneness. That we serve a God and from Genesis to Revelation, the witness of scripture is that not only is God one within God's self, but God is one with the creation that he created. And we are one. Covered and united by the blood of Christ. Yes. Jesus was the second Adam, right? Jesus was that second coming, the one who would be um, perfect, the perfect son of God. He was fully divine. He was fully human. And he was undivided. And that Jesus prayed that you and I would be one. And so my prayer for us is that we would take that seriously. So what does that look like for us practically? This is not a sermon where I'm going to tell you that you need to do something or believe something. This is a sermon where I am going to tell you that this is a moment where you and I need to be listening to what says the Lord, that you and I need to be regularly praying. So I will ask you this question. When was the last time you prayed for the oneness of God's church? When was the last time you heard a story that broke your heart or angered you and you turned off whatever you were looking at and you prayed 
God, your will be done. When was the last time that you asked the spirit, God, what have you called me and equipped me to do in this season? I cannot prescribe for you what to do because I tell you, I do not know. (laughs) But I can tell you that there is something that the Lord would have you to do, to say somewhere. The Lord will call you to be some prayer. The Lord will fill your mouth with. There is something that God would desires to do in all of us. And it starts with at least letting your heart be broken, not be mad because somebody has a wrong opinion or idea, but letting your heart be broken at the division in a church that was created by a God who is one truly. So the take home message for us all today, the next time you find yourself going off about something that's happening in the world. And you will probably find yourself having that kind of conversation today, the way things are going. But the next time you find yourself going, go off. I I mean, maybe you shouldn't, I can't say don't go off because the Lord knows (laughs) I'm not going to say to you to do something that I have not figured out how to do go off. But, (laughs) but after you go off, In the midst of going off, at some point in time, make sure that God is present in your going off and that that going off becomes a prayer. (laughs) And if you are talking to one of your brothers and sisters in Christ and y'all are going off and feeling super righteous because you don't have those wrong opinions and you don't, and I know that it's, mm -mm, let it, yes, do it, do it, invite the spirit to be there, let it turn into a prayer. That's what I would like us to do if we're going to do anything. Let's be about the oneness of our God. Let's live into the oneness that is already who we are because that is what we were created to be. Let's let our hearts be broken. Let our hearts be broken. Not let us feel self-righteous, but let our hearts be broken. And then let us pray. And because I am who I am, Because God has formed me the way God has formed me. And because God has used me the way God has used me, I am convinced and cannot be unconvinced that when we pray, then we will do. But we will not be doing in our own strength and in our own power because of our own bright ideas and our own righteous attitudes. We will be doing led by the spirit of God. Pray with me. God, I thank you that you have called us to believe Things that sound foolish. I thank you that you are a God who is able to do things that look foolish. I thank you because you are the kind of God that allows us to believe by faith that the darkest places we have experienced ourselves, that the, that the painful things, the painful stuff of this life, that you are able To work in us such that none of that is wasted. None of that is left on the cutting room floor. None of that is unredeemable. I thank you that you are a God who works all things, the foolishness of life, together for our good. Because you love us. Because you are in us. Because we are created in your image. Because we are a part of you. I thank you that you have invited us to be one with you. And so Holy Spirit, we, we repent. 
Help us to repent, Holy Spirit. For every time that we have taken the oneness of your church, the oneness of your creation, the oneness of ourselves and you and you alone, Forgive us. Help us to repent for every moment that we have taken that oneness for granted. For every moment where we have been content to feel good and self-righteous in our complaining and yet have not opened our mouths to pray. Forgive us for every moment where we have been content to look at the world, to look at the brokenness, to look at the suffering and the hurting and shake our heads and say, oh, that is so terrible, but do absolutely nothing in prayer with you. Forgive us for every moment that we have shut our ears to what you are screaming. Forgive us for every moment that we have shut our hearts when you are trying to allow us to experience them being broken. And so God, we ask that you would reorient us today. That you would turn us to you. I thank you that there is no condemnation in you, oh God. I thank you that every moment we are alive, you are reaching towards us, calling towards us, beckoning us to yourself. And so I am asking that you will do that again today. And Holy Spirit, that you will help us to respond. Teach us how to pray, oh God. Teach us what it means to be one with you, created in your image. Teach us what it means to be one with each other, all of us created in your image. Teach us what it means to be one with your created order, the whole of it, this world that you so loved. And then teach us, oh God, how to love like you love. Teach us, oh God, how to pray. <laughs>